What's going on? Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here as usual. It's been an exciting few days for you. Weeks. Yeah, yeah, I've had a lot going on here. So um, talk about you started at Lead Realtor today and you also started yeah. Feed the Frontline. So touch on those two things. Yeah, so real quick, um, I've actually been keeping Lead Realtor uh, a secret from the Middle Tech crew, not the Middle Tech crew, the Middle Tech listeners uh, just because there's a lot going on with COVID and everything, but the story with getting hooked up at Lead Rilla, so Lead Rilla, Kobe Hastings was actually a guest that we had on um, last season, and his company's been killing it, and they were ready to grow the team a little bit, and he put it on LinkedIn. Evan saw it, and you were actually the one that recommended I go and meet with him, and one thing kind of led to another, and now I'm stepping into uh, an account executive role with Lead Rilla, and I'm super pumped about it. Had my first day today. Uh, unfortunately fully remote, but it was really cool to meet the team. So I'll be the fifth team member to come on and, uh, yeah, everyone, everyone there seems awesome. The platform's, uh, super exciting and they've got awesome plans for growing it. So I'm super excited to be starting there. And then also you mentioned feed the frontline Kentucky is a nonprofit that some friends and I have started and that's kind of taken off really quick too. So we started feed the frontline last week. And then the week before that was like when we started planning on launching it and we delivered 200 meals in the first official week of it. And then we're scheduled to deliver like 300 this week um, and then really try to ramp up our our uh, social media presence and donations. And yeah, we've got we've got big plans for it. We've got some uh, some cool ideas for publicity. We've already gotten on ABC 36. I got to go on there and talk a little bit about it. So I'm just going to give a brief pitch here and then we'll move on. But uh Feed the Frontline is a very simple idea. It's being done in a couple bigger cities around the U.S. already. But what it is is that we collect individual and corporate donations. Um, we use that money to go and buy from local restaurants that uh, are, are being heavily affected by the pandemic right now. And then we take those meals and we deliver them to our frontline healthcare workers at hospitals, testing sites, nursing homes, um, the people who are literally working around the clock and making big sacrifices to keep uh, keep our nation going right now. So that's the that's the idea of it. And a lot of people have uh, seen the value in it and been able to get behind it. And yeah, we're, we're rocking and rolling. We're really excited about it. That's super exciting. <clears throat> I'm excited to see you at Lead Rilla. So yeah, my cousins at Lead Rilla, I've known Kobe for a while, that team. I've known Kurt. I've worked with Kurt for a while. They're an engineer. Kurt's super talented. Just diving into the platform yeah. was, was kind of mind blowing for me because this yeah. is the first, this is the first time I've been into like really diving into tech. You know, this being part of middle tech has kind of gotten me to scratch the surface for me, I think, because I always like startups, but technology, I was definitely just scratching the surface before coming here. And now this has just kind of been my deep dive and, and seeing the back end of the Lead Rail platform today was, was pretty eye-opening. It was pretty impressive to look at. Yep. No, they're doing a great job. If you want to learn more about Lead Rail, like Logan said, we got an episode with them, uh, with Kobe, and he did a great job on that episode. Uh, he's very talented. Um, but let's talk about this episode that we just recorded with Alex Reed. Um, so Alex Reed is a co-founder and CMO of Truman's, the cleaning company. Uh, they're doing amazing things. They've built an amazing, amazing company and product that is totally rethinking how a consumer cleaning products uh, is done, uh, rethinking how the brand is handled, rethinking how the supply chain is handled, um, how the chemicals and everything that goes into it you know, they're very sustainable. They've got a fun, friendly brand um, mm -hmm. and their recurring revenue model and their direct consumer. Yep. So they're doing everything right. Uh, their timing is impeccable. Uh, you know, one of the most important parts, the most important part actually, 
studies have shown of starting a business is timing. Uh, you know, you can, you've got the team, which is very important. You've got all these things that go into a company, um, but timing uh, has been found to be uh, one of the most, if not the most important parts of starting a business. And I think their timing is uh, awesome. Yeah, if you guys get nothing else out of this episode, go and follow Truman's on uh, Twitter and then follow the two founders, um, John and Alex, on LinkedIn. They post some some really funny stuff. The banter between the two of them is it's refreshing because it's it's not what you're used to seeing between uh, co-founders on social media. So yep. So on this, uh, on this episode, we're going to talk with them about their new product launch. So the first episode, this is actually our second episode with them, mm-hmm. uh, we dove into their company, their origin story, their backgrounds as founders. This episode, we're diving into their progress and their new uh, product launch. So they just launched non-toxic uh, laundry, dish, and toilet cleaners. They're pods um, and makes a ton of sense. And they've got amazing names. Um, <laughs> and it's just really fun. Uh, it's a really cool product. So uh, let's let's go into it. Let's do it. Uh, we are sitting down with Alex here from Truman's. We have sat down with him before. This is our second episode with him, so we're glad to have you back, man. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, it's exciting to be here. Thanks for having me again. It is. So uh, the first time we sat down with you, we went over your background, your origin story, uh, your all's progress and journey of building Truman's, and then your unique marketing approach, which we uh, both absolutely love. Uh, and that was an awesome discussion. So for those listening that um, you know don't know about Truman's or haven't heard of them yet or want to know more, that's a great episode to learn the basics about them, learn their story, uh, and learn kind of where they where they came from and what they're doing. This episode we want to focus more on you know their their progress since that interview, their latest products, and get into some questions about um, you know COVID, uh, of course how this has affected. Uh, their business, and then some more personal questions for Alex here at the end. Um, but let's jump into, uh, actually, I do want to give a shout out. So uh, I have become an, a user of Truman's, and so is my mother. Uh, I got my mom uh, a box, <laughs> and she has been buying, uh, she bought me a box for my house when I bought a new house, and she's been buying her friends a box of Truman's when they buy their house. So it's now become a, a housewarming gift. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And really appreciate the support. Absolutely. We got also, to. Before we dive in here, uh, just in case somebody wants to go and get more of a background on Truman, since I doubt we're going to dive into it super heavy here, that's episode 52. Uh, if you guys want to go, go listen to it. That's almost actually exactly a year ago. I went and listened to a little bit of it before we hopped on here. So kind of full circle. Happy anniversary. Alex. <laughs> Happy it feels like about 10 years ago, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, let's talk about one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the new products, because I'm sure this helped you all launch those new products. Um, but you all got some investment uh, last year in the fall, if I remember correctly. Um, talk about, you know, who invested. One of the big ones was, if I'm saying it correctly, Hinkle, uh, who is very well known for uh, products in this space you all play in. Uh, talk about that investment and, and kind of the, the details around that and, and how that's helped you all. 
Yeah, the, the Hankel investment, um, you know, Hankel led an investment round in Truman, so there were others involved. Um, but the Hankel investment in particular was unexpected for us. In fact, I remember uh, John and I flew into New York when people were still flying um, to have breakfast that headed up their, their venture group. And we were almost dismissive, um, you know, courteous, but like going into it, just didn't really expect anything. In fact, we were doing it as a favor to somebody that John had worked with previously at, at GE, John, my co-founder. And um, we were blown away by the conversation, by the vision, the self-awareness. And, and for the listeners who don't know Hankel, I always, uh, you know, compare them to, I'll say they're the German uh, Procter & Gamble. Um, because they have a lot of brands that everybody knows and loves and uses like Snuggle and Persil and Dial and Soft Scrub. And so a lot of times you don't know these big, you know, corporate entities behind the brands that we see every day. Um, but, you know, they are uh, what you would consider a strategic investor because they're in the space. And, um, you know, for a lot of reasons and for a lot of good reasons, people tend to avoid strategic investors in early rounds of funding. So we just didn't anticipate um all of the the alignment that we have with with where we wanted to take Truman's and what we saw as the future in the space, um, and so as we got to know them and the team better, we realized that you know it could be a very big advantage for us in disrupting the category to have somebody in the industry who understands even more so what's broken about it and and, and how we could change it. And so, with Hankel, in addition to some um, institutional investors. Um, we closed that round in, in September and, you know, we've used um, the new funding to do a lot of really exciting things, some of which you alluded to in the intro with, you know, launching new products, um, but really set ourselves up structurally, not just for high growth with new customers, um, but to really take a broad approach to changing the space. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I think it's a testament to keeping an open mind, um, not just in, in fundraising, of course, but in, in running your business. And, you know, certainly when we talked a year ago, our vision was the same as it is now, but we've learned so many things. We've proved ourselves wrong in so many ways. So I think, you know, it, it really is a testament to just being open-minded and how you operate, especially in early stage of a business. Yeah. So for those that, um, you know, might not understand funding, as much talk about what a strategic investment is and then talk about what specifically uh hinkle brought to you guys brought to the table because normally with a strategic investment they're not just bringing money you know there's other things that come along with it so explain that that part of that yeah certainly i mean there when you're starting a business there are several different ways to fund it um and a lot of times it depends on what your goals are uh you know long term and i think um, for some, self-funding it is ideal. You cede no control. You you manage your growth usually in, in a very um, considered uh, uh, method. Um, there's debt. You know, you're not giving up any any portion of your company, but but you know, you still owe somebody, and you have to pay them back. And then there's of course the, the venture world, which is um, trading some of your ownership stake in the company um, in exchange for cash to help grow it, and hopefully multiply the value of, of, you know, your business and now your new investors um, portion of the business as well. And what we saw with Truman's was an opportunity to fast track what's really been kind of a slow transformation of the category. And, and you know, when you think about our, you know, 
the shift to e-commerce across any number of categories over the last 20 years has been pretty rapid um, from not existing really basically in the mid nineties to, you know, think about all the things you buy online today um, and, and, you know, cleaning really never caught up with that. And a lot of it is because of upstream issues um, with the supply chain, you know, they're making these big plastic bright containers that are filled primarily with water and that works when you're selling them on big pallets and you're putting them on a shelf and you're trying to get attention and then you start adding more and more options. Well, what we saw was uh, an opportunity to you know, attack the space, frankly, really rapidly because there are ways to deliver cleaning products that are e-commerce first, that are with sustainability in mind and with customer experience in mind. Um, and so we saw an opportunity to, to kind of strike while the iron was hot. Let's take advantage of this. And so for us, we knew we were going to take outside investment so we could put the kind of money towards growth that, you know, would be difficult to bootstrap and self-fund. Um, then when you make that decision, I think it's, okay, whose money are we going to take? Because we're now bringing them in as co-owners of the company in a way. And, you know, you can get into varying levels of control, um, you know, different types of options. Um, so basically, you want to evaluate, you know, how much of your company you're willing to give up, and, and who you. And for us, we saw opportunities with Hankel, as you you mentioned, not just with a check, but with industry expertise and know-how. You know, we've had tremendous access to data on the industry that's helped guide some of our decision makings, consumer trends, and whatnot, um, and also just capabilities from you know an R and D standpoint, from a supply chain standpoint, and, and you know procurement power. Um, and even just from connections. Um, so, you know, they're a global company and, you know, we're not in retail today, but they do business with virtually every retailer, um, you know, globally. Um, and so it's optionality for you when, when you're partnered with somebody like that. Um, now investors typically have opportunities too, if they're, they're institutional investors versus a strategic and that, you know, they have portfolio companies and connections that they can link you with. So at the end of the day, you're sitting down and, and they're selling as much as you're selling in some circumstances because you want to make sure it's a good fit in both directions. And so it was a really interesting experience and we took our time with it. We, we had our first conversations um, shortly after we launched. So shortly after we talked, we had our first sit down meetings in, in May and then, you know, we didn't close the, the round until September. So we definitely took our time and, and got to know um, some different folks. And we were really happy with the investment team that, you know, ended up closing our, our seed round. Yeah. I think it's a testament to that mindset and that um, strategy you guys just, that you just explained, you know, the direct to consumer e-commerce focused strategy is, is brilliant. I did, the first time we had spoke, the first time we spoke, I understood the direct to consumer play because at that time that was kind of a hot, hot button issue. And um, a lot of brands are starting to take you know, their voice to the next level and go direct to consumer. You know, you think of the dollar shave clubs and some of those other brands. And so it made a lot of sense to me, the direct to consumer part, but I didn't, I didn't think as much about the e-commerce transition that we're going through because it's been accelerated in tremendous, tremendous ways, obviously right now. Um, so I'm sure that that bodes well for you guys. I have just a quick question about the e-commerce thing was so good was it an e-commerce play first? And then you guys kind of had to figure out how to make it possible because I assume that shipping the big bulky cleaning supplies wouldn't, wouldn't make sense. Rather you guys had to figure out how to do it in the little capsules. So was it more of an e-commerce play first or was it, you guys were wanting to change the way cleaning was done? Yeah, I think 
first and foremost, it was direct to consumer. And, you know, to explain the difference in my mind, at least e-commerce can be Amazon e-commerce can be target.com. Um, it can be anything that's selling online. I think direct is when it's your own web property, your voice, your customer service, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more involved than just having a product for sale online. And certainly I think if you decide to go direct to consumer e-commerce is, is a requirement, but you can certainly go e-commerce without being direct to consumer. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so let's transition now to the, to the new products. And well, the first question I have before we really explain what the new products are, this is more for the listener's sake and for a learning at what point does a company say, okay, we've launched with this original offering, this original offering is doing well, we're comfortable with it. At what point do you say, okay, now let's expand? Is it once you realize certain patterns in the market? Is it once you've got, you know, you guys are part of your business is recurring revenue? Is it once you have a certain good base of recurring revenue? What made you guys say, okay, now we're ready to layer in these other offerings? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a great question and probably not the same across the board. I think for us, dish laundry and, and toilet products were, were always on the table, you know, simply by nature of them being large categories that also exemplified some of the, um, the issues we saw in the, the spray space with wasted packaging, you know, retail first mindset, uh, high fragmentation of brands, meaning your laundry brand typically isn't your dish brand, even if it's made by the same company. And so it, it wasn't that we didn't have them kind of earmarked as, as targets that we wanted to go after. I think it was, it was a question of timing. Um, and for us, we wanted to make sure that we were comfortable, you know, one, that this thing is going to go, go somewhere positive. You always want to validate, you know, every step of the way you're trying to validate what you're doing. Um, but then really it's optimization. It's understanding who your customers are. How are you finding them? You know, what is causing them to churn or what is causing them to, to love you and post about you on social media? And then how do we incorporate new products into our core line without deviating from, you know, our message of sustainability of ease of use, um, you know, is it solving an unmet need? It, it's kind of this um, iterative process of product development where, yes, you can have an idea that you want to go into this space next, but you kind of have to apply the learnings over some period of time into the actual development of those products. So for us, you know, we really didn't start um, putting pen to paper on the new products until probably about, I don't know, four to, to six months after we launched the products, we started to have a pretty good feel for, you know, who our customers are and how we wanted to approach this new space. And so, you know, when you think about that from, from our company's perspective, that's a normal timeline, you know, about six months to, to get a new product to market. But for, you know, somebody in the space that is lightning speed. Um, and so that's an advantage going back to the original question of, you know, why partner with the strategic? Well, the strategic likes that because they can see the direction things are going, but it's tough for them when they have so much tied up in legacy, you know, commerce relationships, legacy supply chain and infrastructure. And we don't have those same chains that bind us. So we moved very, very quickly once we, once we decided where we were going to go with these new products. Yeah. I think uh, an important part of Truman's, it's almost hard to even not say it in the same sentence as your guys' brand and your guys' marketing. 
Um, talk for a little bit about why it's so important for you guys to have the brand that you do and kind of the thinking behind this very tongue in cheek kind of thing that you guys have going on. Yeah. I mean, that's the easy part because uh, we just do the opposite of what everybody else does in the space. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else is boring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, um, and, you know, there's effort there, but we legitimately try to have fun um, and, and create things that, that we would enjoy. Um, I, you know, that's kind of our North star and, and it doesn't matter if it's um, the website or the packaging or a confirmation email that a customer gets. We, we look at it as an opportunity to not, not in a Marie Kondo way, but I mean, to bring some joy um, to what I consider to be a relatively joyless task, which is cleaning. You know, if it's laundry, if it's dishes, we all have to do it and it's boring enough as is. Um, so if we can bring a little bit of lightheartedness to the, to the space, we try to do it. I always laugh. It's always good. Uh, when I can get on LinkedIn and see one of your all's posts and laugh out loud <laughs> in the office. It's great. You guys, you guys do a great job back and forth with each other. Uh, yeah. My favorite was, uh, over Christmas when you guys were doing all the cameo. Cameo oh, stuff. That was and- fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. You Ever- guys were actually the first brand I saw do that. Yeah really effectively and put that on my radar. And now I've seen a lot of others do it. Really? See, I was wondering if anybody else had, had done it from a I've, It I've was seen a gray several. area. Yeah. So one of our investors was an early investor in Cameo. And so that was kind of how we got connected to them. And um, I had to like check with their, their leadership team because it was sort of a gray area of, of brands using them. You know, it's not, if you're getting an endorsement from a, a celebrity or a public figure, they typically make you go through the agent. And, and stuff. So this is more like for personal use. I was like, we're not asking them to endorse the products. We're just, you know, having them shout out to, to customers. So um, I don't know if they've looked at that as an opportunity, but it was really, really fun. And our customers definitely got a kick out of uh, seeing some familiar faces and, yeah. you know, the, all the cleaning puns that they delivered. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that was, that was impressive. I, I, la- I laughed at that. And I was, I was uh, genuinely cur- curious about that, that strategy and that, I immediately started looking into Cameo and looking into who else is doing that because it was, it was smart. Um, you know, the way you and John talk to each other, back to that LinkedIn, um, you know, me getting on LinkedIn and seeing you all talk back and forth, where did that come from? Like, is that just, hey, let's try to change the perception of how, because to me, what I look at, I look at that as one, you know, there's, that's part of your all's personality, I'm sure. But two, you don't see a whole lot of other co-founders or professionals going back and forth at each other like that in kind of poking ways. Is that more a personality play? Is that kind of philosophically, let's try to, you know, change a little bit of the image around how a company can be founded and add some fun into it. Where did that come from? I I think it was way more organic than that. I mean, certainly we, we keep it up and enjoy doing it. Um, John and I, when we worked at, at big ass fans, you know, sometimes we'd, you know, we'd sit in one of those big meetings where it probably should have been five people and it ends up being 20. And so at some point during the meeting, you know, you check out. And so we'd shoot messages to each other, either texts or emails, and we'd have sort of that back and forth too. And, uh, you know, it just sort of carried over, I think, in, into uh, our relationship. And we've always been, you know, quick to rib one another. Um, and it spilled into LinkedIn and, and it was unexpected for people. Like you said, I, it's not typically what you see on there. And so what we try to do is just, you know, cleaning was very impersonal. There's, there's not really faces except for the celebrity spokespeople, which is kind of funny too, because I don't think 
that many mega celebrities are, are <laughs> doing their own laundry and cleaning <laughs> their own home. But anyways, we, we try to bring a little bit of personality to it because I think that it's a dry space. Number one, it's boring, but it's also very inhuman. And so it's more of our desire to, um, to, to personalize it a little bit, but also I think we're doing something that a lot of people don't get an opportunity to do, which is to start a company, to grow a company. And so if we can share sort of our experience, we can share in some of the fun. I think that's a cool thing because you always hear about stories from founders after the fact. And a lot of that's because social media predated, you know, their success. And so they didn't have the same opportunity to kind of document the milestones and the conversations. And so we're trying to take full advantage of, of sharing and being very, you know, being very much ourselves um, throughout the process. And I'm glad that, you know, people enjoy it. Yep. Makes a ton of sense. And we, we, yeah, we definitely enjoy it. Um, so you guys stand out with your brand and another thing you guys really stand out with is your supply chain, the way you package, um, and the chemicals you guys use. So I think it's, you know, when you said we can't talk about Truman's without talking about their brand, but you know, we also can't talk about Truman's without your all sustainable approach. Um, we talked a bit about, we talked a you know, pretty decent amount about it on the first one. Um, but talk a bit about, you know, that again, and just reiterate, you know, your old approach to sustainability, you know, you don't have to go too deep into it, but just for those that maybe didn't listen to it the first time, why is that so important to y'all? Yeah, it, it, it really is. And I'm glad you brought up the number of considerations under uh, sustainability. You know, we always use the term multidimensional sustainability because what's trendy right now is, oh, plastic is bad, right? But there's a lot of things that go into uh, a consideration set when you're developing a supply chain. And, you know, you have to think about storage, you have to think about transportation, you have to think about disposal um, with the use of the product. You know, you mentioned the the formulas, the ingredients, um, are they, you know, going to be toxic to the waterways? Are they going to be lung irritants in the home? And so there's all these questions uh, you really have to ask yourself. And, you know, again, another reason that I think somebody like Hankel was interested in investing in us is because we don't, we're not tied up in any legacy infrastructure. We, we were free to rethink the way we delivered these products. And so really starting with the fact that we knew we wanted to go from factory to home, that simplifies a lot of it because you have water at the home, you know, so you can add that yourself and that allows us to shrink the footprint considerably. Then you ask yourself the question of, okay, what are we going to actually package it in? Well, there have been really great advancements in materials. You know, we're using with our new product line, first of all, it's 100% recycled um, cardboard. So it's, it's no new material, um, but it's also 100% recyclable and compostable. So it's entirely waste-free. You know, there's no, no um, interior packaging, no peanuts, no plastic, nothing like that. Um, and then, you know, you talked about the ingredients. It's very easy to source sustainable ingredients. Um, they're not big mysteries. You know, we publish ours. Somebody could reverse engineer the formulas. The problem that you find is they're more expensive. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes companies want to use more aggressive, more abrasive ingredients, um, especially if they're going a disinfecting route. But I think by and large, it's more cost related. And when you're doing large scale, large volume, like some of these big cleaning brands are doing, a few pennies extra per ingredient is very meaningful at the end of the day, their mm -hmm. bottom line. And so we're not as concerned at, you know, squeezing a few pennies out, especially since we're not paying a middleman, you know, the retailer to, to carry our products. 
Um, and so that ability for us to, to kind of lose the constraints of legacy brands and rethink it really is allowing us to have a big sustainability impact. Um, but, you know, going with the brand first in this conversation makes a ton of sense, even from my perspective, because we don't try to be a green brand. You know, we try to be a brand that delivers good products in a fun way. And then, oh, by the way, we just happen to have a, a positive impact on the environment as a byproduct of it. And, and we firmly believe that that's the way to get greener products into the home is focus on that, you know, thirdly or even later down the chain um, and win them over with performance and, and personality and customer service. Yeah, I think that's that's a good trend to set too. Um, to kind of get everyone following, following that lead. It's like, okay, this just needs to be the baseline that everyone's sustainable and everyone is taking these considerations. So I, I love that you guys are are taking that approach of this is not what we're going to lead with. We're going to lead with giving a quality product and having a great brand. And then also, by the way, uh, we're also going to be really sustainable with it. Um, but kind of getting back to these new products you guys are launching, talk a little bit about, uh, what it's been like to launch a product after successfully launching your first couple of products. Has it been, just as challenging, uh, challenging in different ways. Has it been a little bit easier than it was the first time? What has that been like for you guys? Yeah, I, I, it's definitely been different. We had more confidence going into this product launch because like I said, we, we knew who our customers were. Um, and I think we had a better understanding of ways to take the product to market. We had all the benefit of the trial and error of the first part of, of last year. I think what was more challenging <clears throat> was how do we incorporate three new products into a product line where one of our hallmarks has been simplicity? You know, mm -hmm. these four products will clean every surface in your home. Well, now we're getting outside of just surface cleaners. So how do we maintain that, that simplicity? And, you know, a lot of it was around, well, okay, we are just going to have one laundry detergent and, you know, we're not going to have a bunch of options around it, like dryer sheets and fabric softener and throw the whole kitchen sink, no, no pun intended, at this. But we're going to start very simply with what you need. Um, and the same thing for the other categories. Um, and, you know, we're going to make it as, as easy as possible um, to order these products. We're going to, you know, increase our customer service, which we've done. We've, we've added staff. Um, and we've added communication channels via text messaging. Um, and so we've really kind of attacked this, um, this growth opportunity um, in, in the only way we know how, which is making it very, very easy on the customer. Um, and that's, you know, one of the areas that when we talked a year ago, we didn't know was going to be such a big opportunity for us was customer service. And I don't even like calling it that because customer service implies problems. And a lot of times it's just questions. Um, and and that, that's been so important to us to build that team out, to have that team, uh, you know, be U.S., be Kentucky-based. Um, and, you know, we learn so much from it, but we also build good relationships with our customers. If you had asked me a year ago and I was being truthful, I probably would have said we're going to outsource that. Um, because it's, you know, we're, we're a commercialization company, not a customer service company. Um, but now if somebody asks, you know, what you are, I'd say, um, you know, we're a cleaning business with, you know, an excellent, uh, like top 1% in, in customer experience. And um, it's something that I, I personally take great pride in and, and I'm excited about continuing to build that team out as we grow. Yeah, the recurring revenue model kind of changes the dynamic with your customers, right? You know, it's a long-term relationship. 
Um, <clears throat> and that also changes, you know, like you said, it's not customer service. It's just let's answer questions. Let's actually communicate with them and make it more personal. And you said that you added texting uh, as a communication channel. Talk about that decision and what that's been like because personally, um, I think that with the recurring revenue model, with brands becoming more personal and the kind of the relationship between consumers and businesses changing, that a lot of commerce and a lot of communication with brands will actually move more into texting and messaging because it's just more personal. It's fast. It's quick and easy. Um, how has that experience been for you guys to add texting as a channel? What does that mean for you guys? It's been so amazing because the story of how it happened um, is a testament to really listening to your customers. What I'm afraid is going to happen is brands are going to kill text messaging because they're going to turn it into email. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you think about the ratio, your email is probably 90% brand, 10% friends. Your text right now is probably 99% friends, family, and, and 1% brands. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't go too far in the other direction, but we started it as an ordering line. So we had um, prompts and they were, you know, quips in, in our language to help people reorder refills. And it didn't seem like it was getting much traction. And so one day I looked at the, the actual logs to see what people had been texting to the line and it was questions. And it was automated responses coming to them though, because we had set up this flow to give them links to where they can reorder and whatnot. And that was when the light bulb clicked and we immediately, I'd say within two days, we had it converted to where it was plugged into our um, customer service platform, just like our emails and our chats and our social media, you know, messenger comments come through, the texts come through from our customers and we get them every day now, uh, every single day. And so there's nothing outbound that happens yet. We are not texting our customers proactively. Um, but they're texting us every day and, and we use it as, you know, uh, just one more way to, to solve whatever it is they have. Sometimes it's ordering questions. Sometimes it's uh, ingredients or, or use questions. Um, we had a guy today ask if, if our uh, toilet product could be used with salt water because he wanted it on his boat. I mean, there's just who would you ask if you were you know, in, in the retail aisle, do you, do you really think that the person working at, you know, a Target or Walmart's going to know anything about the toilet product? And so we, again, the, the first mistake was me thinking way back in the spring of last year that we weren't even going to need customer service, which was laughable um, and naive, but then, you know, not realizing what a strategic advantage it was going to be for us. Um, because again, not only are we getting all this great information, um, and solving our customers need, we're building this long-term relationship. And to your point, if you're a, a business model, which all cleaning brands should look at themselves this way, but one predicated on repeat business, then why would you not invest in uh, an engagement tool like customer service? Again, it's not the, the cost center that you think of overseas that it just shows up on your budget every year. It's an opportunity to grow your business. And that's why I say I get so excited talking about it because it was such a miss for me in the beginning. And I've you know, as, as kind of being personally involved, not only in, in being a customer service rep uh, for a good portion of our early days, but also building that team, it's been uh, just super rewarding for me. Yeah. As a software nerd, uh, I've got to ask, what do you guys, what's, what software are you guys using to enable you guys to, to build these omni-channel experiences? So Shopify is kind of the hub of our okay. hub and spoke model. Um, and most, you know, tech platforms will play nice with that. 
Um, and then we try to find as many uh, solutions that play nicely with each other. Um, so like Recharge is our subscription company that not only syncs with um, Shopify, it syncs with our customer service platform, Reamaze. It syncs with our email platform, Klaviyo. Um, it's, you know, it, all this stuff is, is connected from fulfillment to, you know, customer engagement, our social media channels poured into this stuff. So um, the stack is something that, you know, it's so fascinating to me because I'm able to do a lot of this stuff, just pulling it all in together. And I'm not a tech guy by, by nature. I mean, 10 years ago, I can't even imagine starting a company like this without having just a, a really big staff or, or, you know, outside resources to manage the, the development of all these tools. And, you know, we're so lucky. It's, it's, it's never been easier to start a business, but I also think that's why, um, <laughs> why there are so many bad businesses out there. Um, cause there's fewer barriers to entry, but all in all, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing because it also allows for very quick experimentation. Um, we've switched email platforms and we've switched customer service platforms and, you know, we're barely over 12 months in the market. And so as your needs evolve, you can very quickly adapt. I mean, again, if you're a legacy brand, that stuff's so hard to do and so hard to change. I mean, even at my, my prior employer where, you know, it's only a thousand people, it's not tens of thousands. We moved over to Google like G Suite for email and office client, it was miserable. It was a terrible experience because you just have so many people and systems dependent on it. And, you know, that's one of the great things, again, about, about being a startup is that ability to, I don't think it's as much about predicting where things are going to go, but being able to react to it quickly and make those changes is, is really critical. Yep. Shopify is absolutely killing it right now. They're doing for good really reason. Well. Absolutely. Yeah. They've built an amazing business. Um, so a few questions here, uh, to begin to wrap this up, uh, how is, you know, this whole coronavirus, uh, pandemic affected you guys? You know, we kind of chatted before we started recording, but go over a bit about, uh, again, what, what's happened here with you all. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the first thing I'll say is it, it, it's affected everybody on some level. Um, you know, and, and, I know I've had, you know, family member sick. Um, people have had friends, family lose jobs. So, you know, it's a terrible, terrible situation across the board that I wouldn't say helps, you know, anybody um, in the long run. Um, but having said that, you know, we are, are among the more fortunate businesses and that we are a product that is not only still applicable, but I think is, is getting increased attention because it's home hygiene, which has never been more important. Um, we have a, a team that is set up um, for distributed work, for remote work. And we have a supply chain that has had very minimal disruption because the products are, are you know, necessary goods. And, and so, you know, when you look at um, if any one of those things had gone wrong where, you know, supply chain's fine, team's fine, but there's no demand for your product anymore or one of the other pieces. I mean, you're talking about for a startup, potentially the end of it. And, and so, you know, I, I feel beyond lucky that, you know, we, we in a sense, and again, we're not through it and we don't know what the next six months are going to look like, but if, if you're looking at it as this was the first wave to, to hit businesses over the past couple months, we were very fortunate to, to get over that wave and, and, you know, still be in a position where we're growing and, and have an opportunity to, 
you know, not be aggressive in like a callous way, but to still be putting ourselves out there to increasing our reach. And, and really more than ever, I'd say we focused on um, our customers. You know, I had, I still get engaged on our customer service platform because I think it's important not to lose sight of who you're working with. And um, I, I, a customer sent the nicest note last night and said, um, you know, times are tough. I've got to cancel, but I, I want you to know I love you guys and I'll be back, which you could have just canceled. Like we never would have, it's not like we, we were going to, you know, attack you and say, why'd you cancel or anything like that? But I thought it was so nice. And I sent her a note and I was like, we're sending you some free product. Like you don't have to wait. Um, we're going to put it in your hands. And so I think just, uh, you know, businesses that do have an opportunity like us to continue to operate just need to be extra empathetic to the situation their customers and their employees are in. Um, but it, it's, it, you know, if you have the chance, you should still operate your business. The, you know, life goes on, the world goes on. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to make the best of the situation, but I think like everybody else, we're just kind of trying to see what, what's going to happen over the next few months. And there's really no, no precedent for it. No way to predict it. Yeah. You, uh, so Evan and I were talking before we hopped on this call, we saw your LinkedIn post today uh, of uh, you teaching your daughter how to ride a bike. And then you drew some similarities between learning to ride a bike and building a company. And we both thought those were, were pretty cool. So for those that haven't seen LinkedIn posts, would you mind diving into that for a second? Yeah, and it's funny. I, I was on the fence about posting that because I was like, this is so cheesy. And normally, you know, we're lighthearted. But I couldn't get over the fact that when we were out there, she was so nervous, so scared. Um, and I was too, because I didn't want, you know, you don't want your little girl to crash. Um, but like, it so quickly turned to just exhilaration and pride. And, and I was like, this is exactly how I feel within a given day, you know, because there's, there's high highs and low lows. Um, but it just was a good reminder to me that if you're not kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, then you're not growing and you're not progressing. I mean, and that was part of why I, I left to do this was I, I felt comfortable. I wasn't unhappy. I didn't feel like I was unproductive. I just felt comfortable. Um, and, and that's a hard, you know, complacency is a, is a tough thing, whether it's, you know, your, your, your lifestyle, your, your, you know, health and exercise, your, your, your job, your career, um, staving off complacency can be tough. And it, to me, it was just an incredible reminder in that moment of seeing a kid go from terrified to just on top of the world of, yeah, you really do have to take some risks and kind of push yourself. And, you know, it's funny because that post, like I said, I, I was afraid it was going to be too cheesy has gotten incredible engagement. And I'm glad, um, that, that people enjoyed it and that I decided to share. And I think, you know, I'm not a social media guru I'm far from it, but I do think people should um, kind of draw on life experiences and share those because so much of what I, I see on, on LinkedIn and other platforms is, is like platitudes and generalizations and things like that. And, you know, I'd rather see more about real people's lives and, and, and just the interesting things they're doing. And, I think now where we're losing all the human connection to and with all the distancing, mm -hmm. uh, it probably resonates even more. And we realize how important that, that kind of human connection and, and authenticity is. So, so yeah, maybe I, I'll just start sharing pictures of my kids <laughs> from now on and, and kind of forget about the whole Truman's thing since they, <laughs> they do better than our, our product posts. <laughs> Are you guys, uh, I don't know why I just thought of this random question. Are you guys on TikTok? We haven't, we haven't joined yet. Do we need to be there? 
Uh, you girls, I don't know if you're all buying demographic is there. It's definitely not, but you know, the, the things change so quickly with the social media landscape. They do, they do. Um, that's been in the back of my mind and, and I just, I can't personally bring myself to download the app. Uh, I'm the same way. Yeah, I yeah. haven't downloaded either cause I don't want, I've got Instagram, LinkedIn, I don't rarely check Facebook, uh, but I check uh, Instagram and Twitter the most. And I can't add if I add another if I add another something that's like addicting like that. This is kind of me telling all myself, but I've set uh, limitations on all of my social media apps. So like after two hours, I get locked out of them, and then I just two hours download. each. So it's like eight hours you can spend. No, 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 like two hours <laughs> altogether. But uh, the one that I downloaded after the limitation was TikTok, so I can still get on TikTok. And I've been after I get locked out, I'll go, I'll go check out TikTok, which is you know, counterintuitive, but I feel like you guys, you guys would make some hilarious TikToks. Oh yeah, from, that's true. You guys could be doing, yeah. From what I've seen. Your old brand would be good on there. Yeah. Um, last question, forward looking statement. Where's Truman's going to be in the next five, 10 years? Where do you want it to be? Yeah, we, John and I are, are building this to be, you know, around in 30 years. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be around in 30 years. That, that means we want, a, uh, we want to build a brand. Um, and I think a brand is really just what the customer says it is. And, and if you don't build a good brand, it won't be around in 30 years. And so you have to, to have great products, great service, um, be a contributor in a positive way. I think that that's becoming more of a demand to, you know, community and the world at large. And so, you know, Truman's for us is going to be in cleaning. You know, we're not trying to to branch out into things outside of cleaning but we definitely see cleaning as as a very broad category and so we are going to continue to expand on um you know our supply chain capabilities our new products um and even looking at new markets conceivably outside of the u.s um, we've seen tremendous demand when we first launched i might have shared the stat that we had a visitors from over 100 countries um, we put these new products out this week. We had visitors or last week from over 80 countries um, to our website on the first day. Um, so I guess 20 countries lost interest between last launch and this one, but um, we continue to get a lot of outside interest there. Um, and so we're just going to keep building on, on what we've seen work, um, treat our customers well. And, you know, I think the rest will, will take care of itself. That's, that's really all we can do is, is try to keep, building on what's been successful for us so far. Um, so I don't think there's going to be any kind of fireworks or major deviation from, from the plan. Um, but you know, I think that's good. We, we've found something we've, we've struck a chord and it, it was our theory going in that cleaning was broken. And I think a lot of people have recognized that, yeah, there are, you know, many ways in which it can be improved. So, um, hopefully we see increased competition in the space too. Um, I think it's going to take a lot of effort from outsiders pushing the industry for it to really change. And certainly we don't have the budget or the LinkedIn following to do it ourselves. So, um, you know, that, that was one of our big goals going in was we want to see the entire category shift and feel like, yeah, we had a big part in doing that, you know, cause we're not going to be 90% market share at any point, nor do we want to be. Um, but we do want to see the entire thing change because of the pressure we put on it. 